I met a pilot for KLM in an elevator in Sydney and then ended up having beers with him. And he was planning to go to Tasmania to like rent a camper van and drive around for a week. Uh, and he just over beers talked me into going with him in this camper van and, you know, and cramming into the back of a van with this guy I hadn't known the day before. Uh, and a lot of stories like that where you just kind of end up places you never thought you were going to go. This is the final call for me. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 344. Bochorna in Georgia may only have one permanent resident, but at 2,345 meters or 7,600 feet, it is the highest inhabited settlement in the entire continent of Europe. The second highest, also in Georgia, has one of my favorite names in the world to say, Ushguli. Hey, podcast peeps, just wanted to let you know, in case you're not on our email list, that we are opening up our Frequent Flyer Boot Camp course for the first and only time in 2018. So if you're listening to this podcast right when it comes out, you are able to get in to the Frequent Fire Bootcamp course for the first time that we have done this in 2018. You can check it out by going to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash bootcamp. It is only open from Monday, December 17th until Friday, December 21st at 11.59 p.m. EST. So after Friday night, we are shutting the doors. You will not be able to get the Frequent Fire Bootcamp course after that. So if you want to give yourself the gift that I consider one of the best gifts you could ever give someone or yourself, the gift of travel, and you're saying, hey, I want to learn how to use Frequent Fire Miles to travel around the world to get flights just like Trav does and a lot of the guests who come on here to get flights for under $100 so that I can get to my dream destination for almost free, you are going to want to check this out. This is the best-selling and best frequent flyer mile course that has ever hit the market. You could do that extrapackofpeanuts.com slash bootcamp. We are also doing some really cool stuff. We have a huge discount off the regular price. Again, that is only running until December 21st. So Friday night, you can't get it after that. Friday, December 21st, 2018. We're also throwing in four bonuses. So not only are you going to get the entire Frequent Flyer Bootcamp course, which will teach you everything you need to know about miles and points, but we're also going to teach you how to get cheap car rentals. We're also going to teach you how to get cheap and possibly even free accommodations. And we're also going to teach you how to get the cheapest paid flights. So if you can't use miles or you don't need to use miles, we're going to teach you everything you need to know to get the cheapest paid flights as well. So again, you could get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash bootcamp, but that does close December 21st, 2018 at 11.59 p.m. EST. After that, you will not be able to get Frequent Fire Bootcamp. We are not sure when we're opening up again. So if you've been waiting to get in and you want the best course out there on how to use your miles and points, check it out, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash bootcamp. One of the things I love so much about emerging destinations is that you feel like you're finding something, a hidden gem that not as many people know about. And that's one of the reasons I love traveling is discovering things that maybe the masses don't know about yet, but that are cool enough that if the masses did know, they'd be these huge, crazy tourist destinations. But you're getting in kind of in the beginning. And I love doing that as well with travel clothing. And that's why I'm so excited to be working with Bluffworks and to have been rocking Bluffworks travel chinos and their travel blazer. And now they have a travel vest and they have a hat and they actually have suit pants. So they've got a lot more things when I started um, rocking Bluffworks. But I love the fact that they're started as a small company. They're still a fairly small company, but they're, they're expanding. And if you're looking for the best travel clothing, you can get in kind of in the beginning here with Bluffworks. I am Imagine that in the next 10 years, Bluffworks is going to absolutely explode as a clothing brand because the stuff they make is so high quality. It is the only pants that I wear ever. So if you're looking to get in on the ground floor with Bluffworks, you can check them out at bluffworks.com slash epop. You can also use the promo code epop to get 10% off any of their non-sale items. So you can check that out, bluffworks.com slash epop. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or have listened to any other episodes before, then you probably know that the backpack that I take around the world with me is my Tortuga backpack. And they've got a few different styles now. They have their Outbreaker backpack. They have their Setout backpack. And I would guess 
if we're talking about emerging destinations and off the beaten path places, that the most off the beaten path place that I've ever taken, my Tortuga backpack, is the town of Omalo in the country of Georgia. So there's about 20 people who live there. Uh, Most of them don't live there full-time. Maybe five live there full-time. It's crazy. There are literally wild horses running around on these um, amazing mountains. And it's just a fantastic out-of-this-world experience. And I had, of course, my Tortuga backpack with me there in Georgia. So whether you're going far off the beaten path, like Omalo in Georgia, whether you're rocking it in Paris, France, or New York City, doesn't matter. This is the travel backpack that you need. You could check it out over at TortugaBackpacks.com. Pick the one that works best for you. Don't forget, use the promo code EPOP. That will get you 10% off anything that you order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a recovering lawyer who, after five years and $250,000 of debt, got fed up, decided to travel the world, who has a favorite country that makes us instant kindred spirits, and who's a sucker for emerging destinations, Nate Hake from TravelLemming.com. Nate, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. Uh, Glad to be here. Guys, today we're going to be chatting about some awesome topics. I kind of hit on those. We're going to talk about how Nate was able to hit and afford 43 countries, six continents in his first year. What makes a destination a candidate for an emerging destination? What Nate believes are the top emerging destinations around the world. Some of your favorite places, Nate, to live as a digital nomad. And of course, your best travel stories and mishaps. But first, let's get into this backstory. Because you dropped 250K on a Yale Law degree, started working, and then we're like, nope. (laughs) <laughs> no, nah, I'm not going to do that when traveling. Give us that story. What, what, like, how did it come about and what has it led to since? Yeah. So I, you know, I think like a lot of lawyers, I never, I went to law school thinking, well, I'm not actually going to be a lawyer. I'll just go to law school and then I'll do something else with the degree. That's a very common sentiment among law students. Um, and it's total baloney. When you go to law school, you end up becoming a lawyer. Um, and, I, you know, I worked for five years as a civil litigator, so I was actually in courtroom, like trying trials, uh, and I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I, I really did enjoy the work, but it was it was like drinking from a fire hose. Like the sweetest drink isn't going to be good if you're drinking it straight out of a fire hose. I was working. There were weeks where you're working eighty, ninety, a hundred hours, sometimes more for months on end. Um, and you know the only good thing I think about being a trial lawyer was that after the trials were over, I would get like these this week or two weeks to go travel and have a bit of a decompression period before I got staffed on the next case. Um, and so I did get to travel a fair bit during that time. I would take a couple of vacations a year. Um, and I found that those were, that was really the time when I was happiest. Um, and, uh, and I just, you know, it was like, I, I'd really like to be able to do this for a bit more time. And so I found a, what I thought was going to be a break in my career just to take a year to go travel. Um, and I, I wasn't planning to like quit being a lawyer altogether. In fact, I, I at the time I thought probably I'd go back to the same place I was working. Um, but I, I figured, you know, I was young. I was about to turn thirty, so it was sort of a you know third life crisis, or you know maybe that's a uh, maybe I'm being a little bit optimistic about how long I'm going to live there. But, w- but whatever that is, um, and uh, and so I just said, you know, I'm going to go take a year and just just go travel uh, and. Um, and I sort of set out and ha- didn't have a, a particular plan. And like I said, I went to 43 countries in that one year because I was trying to hit everywhere. Um, it's like everywhere in the world that was on my list, trying to just knock off the whole bucket list in one year. Uh, and then about halfway through, I realized, you know, maybe I don't want to stop doing this. Um, and then from there, it was sort of a transition towards, towards, towards working out a way to get to a more location-independent lifestyle. Yeah, I wish... I had a counter for the amount of people who came on and said, well, I was going to take a year trip, 
dot, dot, dot. Right. And then every, I mean, we haven't had anyone come on who said I was going to take a year trip and I took a year trip and now I'm back, right? It's always, and then I realized this, this, this. So when you, when you first took off, you think, all right, this is a career break. It's a year. I'm young. I can do it. What was the feedback from friends, family, colleagues, like your, the, the firm that you worked for? Was everyone on board? Were you nervous thinking maybe I can't get my job back when I, when I come back? How did that, how did that kind of flesh itself out? Yeah. So it, it, everybody was actually enormously supportive. Um, I initially took a, like a short couple month break to do a political campaign at the beginning of it and sort of use that as a lead into the travel break. Cause it's quite common for attorneys to take off some time to do political, political work. Um, and so I sort of used that to, to transition into it. Um, I love they that. Were, I love that. You're like, yeah. all right, I'm going to do what normal people do knowing I'm not, I know I'm going to continue this on, but yeah. no one has to know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and then after that, at that point you were already, I was already, you know, staffed off of all my cases. So there wasn't a, a there, there weren't any issues with, uh, with sort of letting me go off. And, and I had gone to law school quite young. The, the firm was surprisingly supportive of it uh, and very friendly sort of towards the whole idea that there had been other people who actually had done it and come back and, and they sort of felt like, you know, maybe this is good for people from a mental health perspective to to get that. So I, everybody, my family, uh, a lot of my family hasn't necessarily traveled abroad a bit, although I did live in Japan as a kid because I was a military brat. Um, but a lot of the extended family hasn't. And we're kind of like, OK, that's what you're doing. Fine, I guess. You know, they're, they're all this usual questions about aren't you going to get murdered in Mexico or, you know, isn't that dangerous or, you know, like people just sort of not understanding the, the travel mindset. Um, but overall, I think most people were just like, wow, cool. Like, you know, I wish I could do that. That's cool. And I think that's what I want people to take away from from your point is that you originally said, I'm going to take a break and, you know, out of a career that's pretty demanding. And some people listening are in those type of careers. And what I have found by talking to a bunch of people who are in similar situations is that usually everyone is it's it's this support because they're also like envious like they might see a younger person they might see someone doing it thinking well i wish i could do that too and so i i think that more people out there could feasibly go down this path if they just asked if they just kind of went about it and said hey instead of never thinking this is a possibility hey i've listened to other people do it and there is support out there because a lot of people are going to think that's a pretty cool thing. I wish I had done it and and give you that support, like b- bosses and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I had, when the idea first entered my head halfway through my law career, I sort of assumed that it would it would just like tank my whole career and it would be the end of it. And it, it ended up doing that, but that's because I chose, I chose that path. Um, but had I chosen to go back, I really don't think it would have hurt me at all. And I think that the perspective that I had got from traveling probably would have been very helpful uh, in terms of helping me to sort of center, uh, center myself and figure out where, where I wanted to go. And so, I, yeah, I was just very surprised by how supportive everyone was. Has there been a part of you that has thought then, because you said about halfway through, you're thinking, I don't want to go back. So I have to figure out how I'm going to make this work. Have you thought since then, all right, I'm doing this wrong. Like I, I need, you know, I need a career. I need to go back. Cause like you said, you, you went in thinking it might tank your career. Then it did. But have there been parts of you that have said, oh my gosh, I am making a mistake here. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have those moments. I think everybody who's nomadic does, especially at the beginning, and especially for someone like me, because I had to essentially switch career paths almost entirely. It's really hard to be a lawyer and, and be a nomad and, and work nomadically as an attorney. I'm not saying it can't be done. Maybe some people do do it, but it didn't strike me as the, the a skill set that was going to easily transfer. So I've had to learn uh, a lot of other skill sets like for, to start the travel blog. And then I also have a enterprise software company that I run. And I knew nothing about running a business or doing software or writing or photography or building websites or, or running a travel blog before all of that. And obviously, all of these things take a while before they really start producing a lot of money. Um, although you can get, I think there's a, a, particularly knowing what I know now, it's a lot easier to make money more quickly than I think a lot of people realize. Um, so you always have those moments, you know, I think every time in life where you sort of question, maybe I, I could have gone a different way, but um, I don't think that I've ever seriously considered going back and like going back to the nine to five grind. I think it would be, 
you know, maybe if my company takes off and I have to go run it for a year or two before we have an acquisition and it's really big or something, I'll go back to the States or maybe have a life event where, you know, I get married and have kids and, and that and want to. But um, I don't think that um, I don't think it's likely that I'm going to go go back to that path that I was on. Yeah. How long has it been since that first trip, since you took off on that first trip? It was about two and a half years ago. Yeah. So that was in 2016. I remember because it was during the 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 big Trump election. And that was the question I got everywhere I traveled um, was about that. Um, so it's been, yeah, it was a year. And then about halfway through is when I started travel lemming. Um, and because my initial thought was, well, I'll just start a travel blog. And because I love traveling and I love writing and um, and then I'll be a millionaire overnight um, because everybody's going to want to, you know, hear how interesting I am. And um, turns out travel blogging is a lot of work. Um, it really is. You have to treat it like a business and it can it can make money. You can do it. But um, so that was at about the six month point. And then about six months later, I started diversifying and sort of doing a little bit more with with my other projects and becoming more of a nomad versus a traveler. I think there's kind of a distinction in my mind between those two terms for that first year when I did 43 countries in a year, I was primarily traveling, um, even as I was starting the blog. Uh, and now for the last year and a half, I've been nomadic in that I will spend, I'm currently in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I will spend a month or two months here and then go to the next place for a month or two months. And it there's benefits to and drawbacks to both, but it, it is kind of a different, uh, a different style. Completely agree that there's a big difference between traveling and then living or being nomadic abroad. And like you, we kind of ran that same path and tried to balance them for a while and realized that it was very tough to work and quote unquote travel or travel fast. You know, you you feel like you're treading water on, on all parts of it, right? Like, oh, I'm traveling, but I'm not seeing everything I want to see because I'm working, but I'm working, but it's just to keep things afloat and not move things forward as much and so we've like you kind of taken that idea not not as much nomadic now because we're we did that now we're back at a home base and people know that story but i agree it's kind of neat that you've done both that you said hey i'm traveling for travel's sake like yeah i'm gonna start my site and you did start your site and got off the ground but for a year the goal was let me travel let me see as much as possible let me go wherever i want you know i'm not focused on making money let's let's talk about that because 43 countries and six continents in a year is a lot um i think you hit as many countries in a year as i might be at total or we're we're close man so that's pretty crazy how were you able to afford that and what let's start with the afford thing and then talk about the planning, because like you said, you don't like to plan a lot. So then we'll get into where you went and why you went to those places. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I saved money for that first year um, and I had budgeted for it. Um, and, you know, I was working as a corporate lawyer, so I had a decent income coming in. I also had, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, a quarter million dollars in debt when I graduated law school. And I was trying like mad to pay that down as quickly as I could. Um, but about that last year or so before I left, I reduce my payments to the, you know, to the required amount versus trying to overpay um, so that I could save up some money uh, to be able to afford the trip around the world. Um, so I did it all off of savings. Um, and then the other, the other way that I afforded it was I like basically didn't pay for any of the flights, like almost none of them out of probably 60 because I had, I played the points and miles game. And I think I had a half million probably at the point that I left. And then, of course, you're flying and you're spending so much money on dining and travel while you're doing it that you're accumulating even more. So I never even really ran out of points. So um, a lot of my airfare and some of my hotels was covered by uh, was covered by points, and then the rest of the expenses was just all off of savings. If you if you don't mind me asking, what did that look like as far as how much you saved, and then did you burn through that all, or did you yeah. have some left over? So I had budgeted a hundred dollars a day, so thirty. 36,500 plus, you know, some costs for insurance and healthcare and things like that. So let's say 40,000 even basically for the year. Um, and I didn't, I did, there are the people who travel and like keep ridiculously detailed notes of every single thing that they spend and exactly how much they spend. That wasn't me. Um, I, I don't particularly find accounting fun. Um, so I didn't track it super closely. Um, but I think that I roughly came in a right around budget by the end of it. Now, the places that you decided to go, were they planned out or were there at least some big parts of it planned out saying, I want to go to this continent, I want to go here, I want to go here? 
Or did you just say, I'm leaving, and if someone comes up to me on a train and tells me they're going here, well, I might just hop on that next train and go with them. Right. So I think the answer is actually both. Um, I mean, I think I left with a few things in mind that I wanted to hit, most of which I did. The, the big one that I didn't was I wanted to go to all seven continents, and I didn't make it to Antarctica. Um, I just couldn't quite force myself to spring for the seven or eight grand it was going to cost uh, to take that trip. And so I missed out on Antarctica. You know, I had other things I wanted to check off. I really wanted to go to the Bolivian salt flats. And those were just like incredible and 100% worth every, every minute of it. Um, I wanted to do a safari in Africa. And so I did that in Kenya. And that was really fun. I wanted to see some of the major sites like the Eiffel Tower and the Taj Mahal. And so I did that. And I wanted to go to um, Central Asia. That was high on my list, did that. But then there was other things, you know, other times where it would just sort of take a turn the whole trip that that wasn't expected. I met a pilot for KLM in an elevator in Sydney and then ended up having beers with him. And he was planning to go to Tasmania to like rent a camper van and drive around for a week. Um, and I had planned to go up and do the traditional East Coast trip through Australia. Uh, and he just over beers talked me into going with him in this camper van and, you know, and cramming into the back of a van with this guy I hadn't known day before. Um, and so that was a blast. And uh, and a lot of stories like that, where you just kind of end up places you never thought you were going to go um, because because you met people and you're traveling with them. And I still like, I still see people all the time that I met on that trip um, that are coming through Chiang Mai or somewhere else that I'm at. You know, for New Year's, I'm going to meet someone I had met on the bus, a guy I had met on the bus to Machu Picchu uh, in Peru uh, during that trip. So I, I try to generally target myself towards the things that I wanted to get done, certain certain goalposts, but along the way would just sort of let it take me where it went. What were the hardest parts of that? Because it's sat it sounds awesome. Everyone listening wants to travel. So they're like, this is a dream trip, right? A year, listen to things he just rattled off the top of his head that he wanted to do, plus this other crazy story. But a year is a long time traveling, and that type of travel, uh, and were you solo? Were you by yourself at that point? Yeah, I mean, I was solo for the whole trip. I had friends that would come from home um, for pieces of it here and there, particularly in the early months when I was close to the States. But I was solo, you know, except to the extent that I met people and traveled with them. Yeah, so it is. It's fun and awesome, and I, I you know, both you and I would agree we we would do it again in a heartbeat, and it's a great way to see the world. But what were the tough parts? Because there are they are out there, and I feel like when we gloss over that, if someone does take a trip and then you know is in the hostel and feeling lonely, they think, wait, I'm doing something wrong. I think kind of shining a light on the fact that this happens to everyone even people who have been out and traveling quite a bit, really helps give people that idea that travel's fun, but there are some hardships as well. Yeah. I think the worst time for me traveling, particularly solo, is when you get sick. And that happened to me several times when you just get like really ill. I fell ill in the desert of Bolivia, like far from anywhere at a time that I had, was basically trapped in this, this small town of uni by protesters that had surrounded it. And was just it was just miserable. And then again in India, I got sick three times in three weeks to the point that I just left India altogether early because I was just tired of it. When you're just laying in a like a bed in a hostel or a Airbnb and you're you're you don't have anyone to take care of you and you're just like you can barely like get yourself up to go to the bathroom, it's not fun at all. And there's there's like a moment where you you just give anything just to be at home, you know, just to have that home. And so that's really hard. I think there's always sort of with any kind of travel, even if you are like even after two and a half years of traveling, like everybody gets a little bit anxious here and there. I think when particularly when it comes to a long trip like this, where you don't have a specific plan at the end. And then at the moment when I started to realize I wanted to travel more was actually sort of created this anxiety around like, oh, wait, like I don't have a plan for that. Like I'm realizing that I want to do this thing, but I don't have a plan for sorting it out. And I, I really for the first probably three or four or five months I was thinking about that, you know, I, I didn't have a good plan. That's how the, the travel blog got started because I think that's where my mind went first and a lot of people go quickly to a travel blog. I've since learned that there's a lot of things you can do, like completely unrelated to travel that will just allow you to travel. Um, and had I known that at the time, you know, maybe maybe would have made some different choices um, or maybe would have been able to accelerate that process a little bit. But I think that anxiety sometimes of of um, can be a little bit difficult as well. That's an interesting point and one that I've experienced as well. 
is that when you open it up, you're, you're excited because now you're saying, all right, I've made the decision where I'm not going back to being a lawyer. I'm not going back home. Great. You feel good about it. And then you start to say, okay, but what? Like there was an end goal or an end point. There was this, I, this, this thing that was going to happen, your next chapter of life. And all of a sudden now those doors are open and you don't know what it is. And, and the same thing happens with traveling sometimes. You know, when I go into a trip with a start and end date, which is not usually the way we travel, sometimes I feel better about it, right? Even Because you think, all right, I know I'm going here, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and then it's over. And sometimes there is that anxiety of open-ended travel. It sounds romantic, but it can be it can be pressing on you a bit because you're thinking about it. It's, it's like mentally weighing on you a lot. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Nothing's perfect, and I think if you look to travel just to solve all of your problems, it's it's probably not going to do that. I think there's a lot of reasons people should travel, but it's not a it's not a cure all. I agree. What were some of the then on the flip side of that, some of the highlights, whether it be a place or a thing or whether it be something that you experienced or a change in yourself? For me it was really cool to just I to sort of see that change where I felt like I began to realize along the way that I wanted like to have a, a little bit more of an open life and and to be able to have a, a bit more freedom and to and to do this on a more permanent basis. I think there was a lot of I didn't have a lot of self revelations in the middle of it, but that was a big one. Um, there were a ton of places that I absolutely loved and, and experiences along the way. Um, you know, I was in Thailand for Songrim, which is the Thai New Year when there's basically the whole country turns into a giant water fight. Um, and spent a day, you know, running around chasing people with uh, super soakers uh, and getting soaked, and and that was a blast. And I really enjoyed just like experiencing Central Asia in in particular, Central Asia and like the Caucasus region. Let me back up for a minute. Like I always used to hate the question, what, what was, what's your favorite country? Which is one you get a lot when you're traveling. I used to say that's a lonely question. They're all different. I love them all, every single one of them, until I went to Georgia, and. Uh, Georgia is just such an incredible country. Um, I still like haven't found anywhere that's that's even all that close to it. At least from the you know the three weeks or so that I spent there, um, I plan to go back sometime next year. So hopefully, <laughs> we'll still live up to that. Um, but it was just such an incredible, uh, incredible place. I I love the question. What's your favorite country? A because when I answer it so quickly, people are surprised, right? Oh, what's your favorite country? And I give them an answer like. Oh, you're not supposed to know. You're supposed to go on this huge, long caveat of everywhere. Yeah, everywhere's different. It's all so beautiful. The world's magical. And I'll be like, no, Georgia and probably second Thailand. Right. Like, well, how do you know yeah, that? I, what do you mean? How do I know it? What's your favorite pizza? You can tell me your favorite pizza. You just know it right when you're there. So, um, yeah, I, as people, EPOP listeners know, like my favorite country in the world, it finds its way into almost every podcast. Uh, and we've had, thankfully, a lot of people make their way there, which is really cool. And that kind of brings me to this idea of emerging destinations. And one of your biggest posts is this idea of emerging destinations. And I love the idea of an emerging destination because you always want to be one of the first people to, not first, but in your group or, or amongst society to find out about these places, like we talked about Georgia, without it being a place that is so far flung. Like there are to there are totally people who are way more adventurous than me, right? I'm not like going through Syria right now and, and some sort of crazy stuff. So I don't consider myself super adventurous, but I do consider myself like a curator of emerging destinations. It's that in between, right? When you classify an emergency, emerging destination, is it a gut feeling or do you have some sort of like formula like has to be this, this, this? I think it has to be on some level a gut feeling. I, you're right. I don't. I don't go to places like Yemen or Somalia or like the. If if I called myself an off the beaten path travel blogger, the real off the beaten path travel bloggers would kind of say, "Well, you're you know you haven't been to Iraq yet," um, and that's true. Uh, and there are people who travel to Iraq and it looks lovely, but it's um, it's a small minority of people who who do that. My feeling is it's it's a place that your average person who travels back home. Um, hasn't thought about traveling to. Um, so that excludes Paris and London and Tokyo, um, but maybe not some small towns in France um, or in England or in Japan, and definitely not countries like Kazakhstan or Georgia uh, or even like Bolivia um, that are, you know, and some of those countries are a little better known on the traveler scene, but maybe less well known back home. Um, so it is a bit of a gut feeling. I do, 
I, every year I, uh, over at Travel Loving, I put out a, a big series of posts where I have bloggers come in and judge uh, the top emerging destinations for the following year based on nominations that I solicit from certain tourist boards. And it's always kind of a process like getting the figuring out what qualifies and doesn't qualify. This year, we've got a nomination for Denmark. And I was kind of like, is Denmark emerging or not? But then I looked at the numbers and actually Denmark has very few international tourists as a country. Um, And so I said, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe, you know, maybe that's, that wasn't my gut feeling, but maybe it is after all. So I think it is a bit of a gut feeling um, for sure. But, you know, it's my blog, so I'll write about what I want to write about, I guess, at the end of the day. The, the general concept is, um, and that, that kind of goes back to the name of travel lemming, which I didn't realize a lot of people don't know what a lemming is. But a lemming is, is this, like, rodent, basically, in Norway that supposedly engages in, in such mindless group behavior that they will literally follow each other off cliffs to their deaths. That's completely false, and it's based off of a lie perpetrated by the Walt Disney Company um, to sell a nature documentary in the 1950s where they literally staged this lemming suicide, and which is a crazy, ridiculous story in itself. But it led to this sort of phrase that's maybe not super common, but I think I, – I had definitely heard it before. I'll, I'm surprised now that not everybody knows it, but the idea is like don't be a lemming. Don't just go where everybody else goes. Um, don't follow each other off the cliff. And so travel lemming was sort of a tongue in cheek reference to going places that the rest of the crowd isn't going. Yeah, I actually, I have heard of the lemming, uh, the, the story. And that's when we started talking, like I knew instantly right away what it was. And I feel like there was a video game in the late eighties, early nineties that had something to do with lemmings. I just remember on my computer, like these things, I don't even know what you had to do for the video game, but they just kept falling off the edge and maybe you had to save them. I don't know. But um, I'm with you. This idea that, again, it's your blog. You can say what you want and, and it's going to be different to different people. Again, people be like, oh, Trav, you're adventurous. I look at it like, no, I read about this guy who's doing way crazier things. So it is, it's all relative based on who you're interacting with or who your audience is. But what is it about emerging destinations that you love so much? Like so much so that, again, you have this big post, you spend a lot of time doing it, you know, you're soliciting tourism boards and, and talking to them, your your site is, the whole basis of it is kind of this idea. What is it that you love so much about an emerging destination, maybe versus a, a well-known destination? Yeah, so I think the good thing about what I view as an emerging destination is that they're all destinations like Georgia, where your average person who travels even a little bit from back home could go there and have a perfectly comfortable vacation, you know, without even maybe they've only been out of the country once or twice before, or maybe that's their first trip out of the country. They're still going to love Georgia because it's awesome. Um, that's not true about Iraq and Somalia. Like you need some level of experience for those things. Um, and so they're places that everybody can go to. And that people aren't going to just because they haven't been discovered. And oftentimes, what you end up finding is is you have way more authentic interactions with the locals because they're not used to seeing tourists. You know, you go to Santorini um, or to Venice or, you know, to any of the really popular tourist destinations around the world. And the locals are just like they're so used to having tourists around that getting any sort of interaction with them that doesn't involve some sort of financial transaction is really hard. Um, But the minute that you get to some village or some country that doesn't see a lot of tourists, um, you'll almost kind of know that you're there because you'll start seeing kids on the street just like following you um, and waving at you and like really excited that you're there. And then that's kind of how you know you're getting out of the edge of of, of what's an emerging destination. Um, And then it's really exciting because you just get people that will invite you into their homes. You know, in Georgia, people, it's a big thing to you'll just get invited into people's homes and they'll start pouring you wine and bring all sorts of breads and cheeses and stuff. And you sort of try to wander through the little bit of Russian that I know, uh, or uh, get the kids who often speak a little bit of English to translate for you. Um, and so you can just have these experiences and these these sort of authentic interactions that I think are very hard to have uh, in a well-established tourist destination. Yeah. Or if you're in Georgia, you just drink so much of the homemade wine that it doesn't matter that no one speaks the same language and you just yeah, eat hachipori right. and hang out and make hand gestures for hours. Yeah. Um, You just know it when you're in a place. And of course, you know it when you're in a super touristed place as well. You know, you go to anyone going to Paris, going to London, going to these places, especially if you're going to the tourist spots, know it. And I like the, the, the point that you made earlier is that it's not always just this idea of, 
oh, France is touristy. Like there are part you could get out in France, and there's going to be places that it's all locals. Uh, same with the UK. Same with any of these. Uh, once you kind of get out of the amazing like insular tourist areas, um, even in cities sometimes. And you mentioned Venice, and I'm with you that it's super touristy. And then we stayed one of the first times we ever rented an apartment. We stayed in uh, Carnaregio, which is like the like spur of it. And all of a sudden, I'm staying in a place. I'm walking outside, and there's a lady hanging her laundry up. Like that quintessentially, hang your laundry up. Kid kicking a soccer ball. Five minutes down the road, there's a thousand tourists. But um, you, you can find it if you want. But these emerging destinations make it so, so much easier. What are some of your, your picks? If you want to give us a sneak peek, maybe, and you kind of, you already mentioned Denmark, what do you see or what have you talked to others that they've seen as being some of these emerging destinations for 2019? The Central Asian countries are uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. Um, those have been hot for a year or two now, and I think will continue to be that way. Um, Georgia is continues to see some of the like mathematical strongest growth of any country around the world. There's some interesting places like the Faroe Islands um, that are starting to enter the maps. Um, and just looks, I haven't been there yet, um, but it just looks absolutely stunning. It's pretty high on my list. Malta uh, in Europe looks beautiful. And I think, uh, you know, a fair amount of people have been to Malta, but it's still a bit off the map. Um, and it's just, it looks like, you know, sort of has that same Game of Thrones look as Croatia, but is a little bit, uh, a little bit further off the tourist map, Albania, um, which we had on the last the the list last year, um, super popular place for sure. Uh, some places that are I call them re-emerging destinations, like Nepal and Egypt, um, that were once actually quite popular and then had an event, either a political turmoil in the case of Egypt or a natural disaster in the case of Nepal, and are sort of poised to start to return uh, to maybe the tourist numbers that they saw before. Um, so those are a handful of places uh, that I think are on there. And then you have other places that are within countries that we already think to travel to, um, but are maybe towns or areas that people haven't thought about, like Manitoba in Canada, which just has absolutely gorgeous lakes and, and beautiful nature. Uh, and a lot of people would never think to take a vacation to Manitoba or uh, the town of uh, Valladolid in Mexico, which is just a 30 minutes away from one of the most tourist sites in the world in Chichen Itza, and yet hardly anybody stops there. Those are a handful uh, of the places, but that you can find them uh, just about everywhere. So that's why we've gone through this whole process and we're I'm enlisting some of the top travel bloggers to sort of help me sort through and pick them. And we've got a good crew of crew of judges for this year's this year's picks. So hopefully by the time this airs, we'll have at least the first of those uh, articles up on the site. Nice. Where is the line? And you, you, we started to touch on this, but where's the line between emerging and maybe stupid to travel to or be wary of traveling to? Or or is there no line? Like, Because to, to me, the only thing I could tell someone is like, it's a gut feeling again. But maybe there's something that to you, you're like, all right, I've, I've looked at this more in depth. Like, here's kind of what I would urge someone to do if they were looking to try to travel one of these places before they go to make sure that they're going to feel safe or at least feel comfortable because maybe they'll be safe. But if you feel uncomfortable and you don't feel safe, that that's still, you know, you're still not going to enjoy your time. That's right. Yeah. I think it's hard, actually. I think it's very hard to get any outside barometer of that because what you'll hear if you ask this question um, to a lot of people is when well, you look at the US and the UK travel warnings. But the problem is is that when you look at those travel warnings, they're totally ridiculous and way more broad than they need to be. I mean, they have travel warnings up for Mexico and for just all sorts of all sorts of places that are perfectly fine to travel to. I, I usually tend to sort of ignore them because I think that they're way overly cautious. Um, and I think that they do people a disservice because uh, one, it scares people away from going to places they could go to. And two, it leaves us without much in the way of actual like um, information about or actual like a specific very clearly delineated sort of authoritative source of what isn't and isn't safe so you, you kind of have to do a little bit of research on the place the vast majority of places in the world are safe to travel to the vast majority like um, unless you're talking about going to you know a lot of destinations and, and a lot of destinations in the Middle East are safe um, but if unless you're talking about going to Somalia or Afghanistan um, you know, most places you're actually probably going to be fine. Um, and again, like there are cities in the U S like there are parts of, um, 
of, of Philadelphia, where I went to college, that are probably way more dangerous than any country that I've ever traveled to abroad. Um, so a lot depends on where you're going. But I think if you're staying in a – like look at sort of the accommodation where you're staying and like the reviews. Like if there's a, if there's any kind of a hostel scene or if there's a, there's a decent sort of traveler network of, of hotels and guest houses that have good reviews, like probably those people who are traveling there aren't, aren't worried about getting robbed or, you know, left and right. I think people over worry way too much about safety. You should worry about it. Like you should, you should, you should have some common sense. Um, it probably shouldn't be the thing that dictates where it is that you travel. Um, and, 99.9% of cases. Yeah, no hostels up in the Badlands, surprisingly, of Philadelphia. Yeah, that's so right. you might not want to venture that far north up in Kensington. Um, yeah, so, and I'm with you. It, it is, it's a shame that these travel warnings go out because it makes you feel if you didn't know better and you're just like, oh, I'm going to go on the US, US's website um, of where to travel and where the travel warnings are, it'd it make it sound like you better stay in your hometown and maybe not even leave your front door, right? Or likewise, you go on the WHO website and you should get vaccinated for every single thing under the sun before you go down to Florida, right? Or something like that. Um, take it all with a big, big, big grain of salt and then do your own research. And And I always like to tell people, because I do talk about Georgia quite often, and it comes up and it is this place that for a lot of people is probably maybe the most off the beaten path they've gotten. For for some people, it isn't. You know, we have people that say have way more adventurous than us, Nate, and like would put us to shame. I get that. But for a lot of people, it's like, OK, this is my first venture out of maybe Western Europe style traveling, you know, maybe even getting out of Eastern Europe and Prague. I'm going to Georgia. And I get the question a lot of, you know, is it safe? Is it, is it safe for a solo traveler? Is it safe for a solo female traveler? Obviously, those are different levels of, of precautions you should probably take. But I am with you that I think a little bit of research and, and some, you know, kind of judging of where you are and where you feel comfortable can go a long way. Have you ever experienced a place that you've gone to where you felt either out of your element or uncomfortable or unsafe? Yeah, I mean, there's been times, there were parts of Rio, actually, where I felt like it was very likely I was going to get held up. Um, and I, I had a few people that were staying in my hostel who did get held up. It was just like burglary um, types. Um, I got burglarized in Belize. And again, in Austin, at TravelCon, um, I got trapped by these like protesters in the middle of the Bolivian desert. And that was a little harrowing. But they weren't protesting me, they were protesting the government, and I was just sort of a, a side victim to it, so I wasn't ever really too worried about it. Um, you know, I haven't had any moments where I felt like legitimately like I need to get out of here, my life's in danger, let me call my travel insurance, you know, phone number and, and get medevaced out. Um, I think those are rare, and, and hopefully I, I will never have one. Um, there are cases where I've thought about traveling to a destination, and then there's been sort of some political instability there or something like that. And I've thought, you know, maybe I'll wait and see how that pans out and, and go somewhere else um, for the moment. Um, but, uh, but for the most part, I think I'm, I've mostly been pretty safe. And I, I tell people, you know, it, it's sad, but it's true that dangerous uh, events happen even in some of the best touristed places. You know, we've had tragic attacks just in the last couple of years in Las Vegas, in Paris, in Brussels. You know, the, these, it doesn't, it's unlikely if you're traveling that you're going to be able to, to reduce your risk factor to zero. Um, and that's, that's inherent to travel and honestly just to living nowadays, uh, you know, wherever your home is maybe isn't as dangerous or more so than, than where you're traveling. So I think for the most part, um, you know, for the most part, I felt quite safe, um, you know, and, and the, the few times that things have happened to me, they've been small. I don't mind losing property, you know, getting my life laptop stolen or whatever i can deal with that um and it's i've never felt like my person was in danger though yeah what are some of your favorite spots flipping the coin a little bit then to live because like you said you went from traveling 43 countries six continents go 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 seeing all you could see to then changing to being like all right i'm nomadic i'm i'm this is going to be my life so i have to bunk down or i don't have to bunk down but it's easier to bunk down i want to bunk down I want to get work done. I want to experience a place a little more fully. What are some of those places that you found that you're sitting there saying, yep, like I'm going to come back to this place over and over, or I'm going to spend a couple months here. This is just, this is perfect for the lifestyle that I'm leading at this moment. 
Yeah, so I'm currently in Chiang Mai um, in Thailand, which is like maybe after Bali, the number two destination for digital nomads in the whole world. Um, I like Chiang Mai a lot. Um, it's 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 definitely really cool. Um, I would say though, for me, um, I really loved Merida in Mexico, which is this city of about a million or so people, a pretty large city on the Yucatan Peninsula, four hours west of Cancun, um, that gets very few tourists, um, has a lot of authentic culture, a lot of history, a really cool Spanish colonial town. Because it doesn't have sort of those Caribbean beaches, though, it doesn't have much of a, of a tourist scene. Um, it was very, enormously affordable to live there. It's the safest large city in Mexico, I believe. Um, like, you could just walk around at 3 a.m. in the morning after having a few beers, which I did more than a couple times, and pitch black streets, and it would be totally fine. One night, I left the door to my place open um, to the street, like just straight up to the street, and I had my drone and my laptop and my camera all set out on my desk uh, and with this door wide open, and nobody took a thing. Um, and that's kind of Merida for you. It's just this absolutely beautiful city that I think doesn't have much of a nomad scene right now. You'll find a few co-working spaces and things like that. But I think both for travelers and for people who are location independent, um, definitely a place to put on your radar. I would say if you're driving from Riviera Maya up to Merida, make sure you get gas before you get on whatever that long stretch of highway is. I'm like, oh, there'll be gas. Three hours later, I'm sitting there like, Guess what? There is not gas on this stretch, and that's a story we told in another podcast. We it's did a run lot out of the jungle. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a long way, um, longer than it than you think or than it looks. But uh, I'm with you. Merida is a cool little town. Only spent a few days there. Really loved it. And interestingly enough, Heather and I just did a podcast of uh, Bali versus Thailand. You hit both of those, and obviously, big digital nomad hotspots, Chiang Mai specifically. I mean, it's you know, it's yeah, it's hard. To not have a good time as a digital nomad in Chiang Mai because it's so cheap, everything's so easy. There's co-working spaces, there's a ton of expats and people doing neat stuff, great food, all that stuff. So yeah, all right, cool. Uh, what about places that you are looking to go to that you're saying, all right, you know, I'm putting together all these lists of destinations. Obviously, that spurs wanderlust on and you. What are kind of your top hits of like these are what I got to get to next? Yeah, I think so. Highest on my list at the moment is Oman. I'd really like to go and rent a uh, uh, rent a four by four and go out into the desert for like you know a good week on a road trip through the middle of Oman. And I think I have a drone that I bring with me, and I, I just looks like the perfect place to fly a drone while you're driving the car. Not not doing both at the same time, but have the drone follow the car, and just looks absolutely incredible. Um, same thing with Namibia. Um, so I guess maybe I have a, a a desert hankering at the moment, but Namibia looks stunning um, and has been on my list. For for a while, and I just haven't managed to make it there. Um, so I think at the moment, those are probably uh, the two that are at the top of my list. But that that's a very long list, and it grows much faster than I can knock them out. Yeah, that's, an, that's a good point. I always get the question. I, tell me if you get it. Hey, when are you going to be done traveling? As if, you know, it's like this water bottle that you fill up with water, and it starts overflowing. You're like, yeah, I'm done. I always answer that the more I travel, the longer my list gets, because not only do I want to go back to places I've been, Georgia, for example, haven't been there for two years, want to go back. But then, you know, you meet travelers or you're talking about Namibia or like my buddy has been to Oman and that's on my list all of a sudden. Right. So do you feel the same way? Like this is not something that's ever going to be done. This is just going to continue to grow. And my wanderlust is probably going to get deeper and deeper and longer and longer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's right. I have a soft goal of visiting all 196 countries in my lifetime. Uh, I think even if I did that, like even if I could somehow knock that out in the next five years, I'd still want to just keep traveling because a lot of the places I've been, I, I've maybe only spent a few days there um, or I didn't explore other parts of the country. You know, in, in Brazil, I've basically only been to Rio and to the Amazon, and that's a country you could probably spend a year in just, just in Brazil alone. Um, and so, and then places, Places change, right? So, like, you go back to places a few years later, and they're different. And so, you can never really experience all that there is to experience and travel because everything is changing um, much faster than than you can experience it. But by the same token, you know, I think it's also important to like remember that we can, like, uh, I, I I always tell people the stat that you know if 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 you've traveled to more than three continents, um, you've seen more of the world than Marco Polo did in his entire lifetime. Um, and 
it's really only the last 20, 30 years, and, and maybe even really the last 10 for a lot of people, that that's been accessible to a sizable portion of, of the country out of the history of humanity. Um, so we're just so, with, with the rise of air travel and the ability to be location independent um, and just the sort of general calming down of political stability around the world, um, you see, and globalization, you have this opportunity to see so much that hasn't been there historically to anyone like even Magellan hasn't ha- wasn't able to see a lot of the places that we've been. Yeah, you, because you not only, as you mentioned, do borders get easier to go uh, to go across with with visas and all that kind of stuff, but obviously the cheap and this is going to get into the next little segment here. The, how cheap it's gotten to, to fly specifically. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you were flying, you're dropping a lot of money. It was super expensive. You know, you couldn't just say, hey, I'm going to hop on a flight here and then in a week come back and then go here. Um, it is. It's this world that has opened up to more than just wealthy people or more than just travelers. It's, it's now, uh, yeah, got a groundswell. It sounds weird, but travel has become very, very mainstream. And, and obviously, you and I have taken advantage of that. And that's a great thing. Um, talking about that and the idea that it's become cheaper, what are some of the things that you've done and tips that you can give people to help them travel more and spend less? Things that you implement whether it be that you're nomadic and living abroad and location independent, or whether it be when you're traveling quicker and, and more in that travel mode. Yeah. So, I mean, the number one thing, particularly if you're a U.S. citizen, is you, like you better be playing the points and miles game. If you're not playing the points and miles game with your credit cards, you're leaving money on the table. Um, and like your average person can probably earn enough in points and miles in a given year to fund the air air trip to wherever they want to go in the, the year at least once, maybe twice, and maybe in business class. You know, I was able to save a half million points or so before I, I did my big trip around the world. And I basically paid for only a handful of my flights. And sometimes I was sitting up front with, uh, you know, lie flat beds and all that. Um, and that's, that's a, a unique feature of the U.S. because it's really – maybe there's one or two other countries, but we're really the only country that has the kind of credit card sign-up bonuses um, that allow you to do that. And so you'll talk to Europeans or, or Brits, and they'll be super jealous of, of this ability to do that. So if you're, if you're American um, like, and you don't know anything about the points and miles game, you need to get into that like right away um, because that will, that will change your world and really open things up. Um, the other thing you got to do is I think it's really important for saving money to be flexible, both around dates and around destinations and sort of to be open to different experiences. Because if you get your heart set on, oh, I really want to go to Stockholm, um, and it just turns out that flights to Stockholm are $1,300 or $1,500, um, but you could go to Oslo or to Helsinki for four or 500, like you're spending way more um, just on the airfare to get there on account of that. Um, and so I think if you can sort of do the, uh, leave yourself a little bit of ability to go to different destinations just based off of what the, the, the prices are, that helps a lot. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to you, uh, to figure out what the cheap flights are. I know you have an app, Jetto, which, um, which I just been playing around with and, uh, and it's super, uh, super interesting and will help alert you to some of those fares. But nowadays you're seeing crazy fares, crazy cheap fares from the US, particularly to like Europe, um, to Mexico. You can get to Mexico and the Caribbean for under $100 a lot of times. You can get to Europe sometimes for as cheap as 100 but oftentimes for under $300. Um, which is nuts. Like compared to five years ago, you'd be hard pressed to find any kind of round trip to Europe for less than seven, eight hundred dollars. And nowadays, you can get it for what is like basically what I used to pay for domestic class flights. Yeah, I get. I I know it's crazy. Even just in the time that I've been doing it, in five, six years, I remember if something was under five hundred dollars to Europe, it was, or if it was five hundred dollars, thinking this is the best. And usually it was just to London because it's the closest, and it was from an East Coast airport. So. I just remember thinking if it was 500 bucks, I would tell people that like, you got to get on this. Now I see some for 500 bucks. I'm like, yeah, there might be some for 300 in the next week or two. It's, it's, in, it's absolutely insane. Um, and obviously one of the reasons why we started doing what we did and made Jet was like, never have we seen as much cheap airfare as, as this it's, it's unprecedented. And, um, you know, who, you know, there's a lot of factors to why, and is it going to last? Who knows? But it really, even if you're not using miles and points with 
both me and Nader sitting here admonishing you for not doing that. But if you aren't, there's still so many ways to get places. And, and that flexibility, like you said, Nate, is key, especially when you're looking at budget airlines and you're saying, oh, I might be here. Oh, there's a budget airline that, especially in Europe and Asia, that flies for 20 bucks from where I am to this other place that maybe I haven't thought about. Well, it's 20 bucks. Hop on a flight. Get up there and go check it out for a weekend even or something like that. So... I'm with you, man. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool time that we're living in when it comes to the cheap travel, and there's certainly ways to to take advantage of that. For you, having been, I what what are you at now? You said soft goal of 196 of all 196 countries. I never say that that's my goal because I don't think I'll ever hit it. And I'm I, I yeah, I, I don't even say it's a goal though. Would it be sweet? Sure. What are you at now? And then based on those countries, like what has been a travel mishap? that you have that you want to tell the people about um, because I love the mishap stories because I found that the more I travel, the more mishaps I have because I get more lax, right? It's like, Oh, I've done this before. And then it's like, Nope, Trav, you're an idiot. You probably yep. should have planned a little more. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm at 66, unless you count that time that I spent about five minutes on the other side of a DMZ conference table inside of North Korea, which if I get to 195. And that's the last thing, you know, that's sitting there. I might just count that. Um, but I'm currently at 66, and then I'll be at 67 next week when I go to Nigeria for a friend's wedding. Um, so, you know, I, I could, if I do another couple of these 43 in a year trips, I think I could knock it out. Um, but it's definitely going to take a little bit of heavier travel, particularly in Africa. There's a lot of countries there um, that you gotta you gotta hit, and so I think I'd have to do. Um, and I really want to do an overland Africa trip. Um, but that's that's a project that I really got to build up to. And I think probably would require uh, being at a point where I could take you know a good chunk of time off from working. Um, so that's on the list. Uh, in terms of travel mishaps, I've had so many. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they happen to the best of us. I think, you know, um, showing up for ferries that um, uh, that ha- had booked for, you know, the next day stuff like that and then just realizing that your entire like your entire plan had been thrown because you like I didn't check the date on the, on on the ferry um I I did that one time um for uh for a ferry in Greece and I forgot I forget what month it was but then Europe you know they transpose so they'll put the the day before the month um, and so if you're on like March 3rd versus March 4th, like that can, that can get a little confusing. Um, so that's all happened. I think in terms of like major mishaps, like probably like the biggest one was uh, just recently at the travel conference where I met you in Austin, I got burglarized with a group of uh, other, um, other travel bloggers. And that was, um, I was a mishap because I always buy travel insurance uh, when I'm traveling, but I don't buy it in the States because I don't think of it as a place where I'm traveling. Yeah, I'm with um, you. I never think of it as traveling. I'm like, oh, I'm just going what? somewhere in the States, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we had, I got my laptop stolen. Um, a couple of the other people staying with us had electronics stolen. We got like five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 worth of stuff taken. We had no insurance for any of it. It was just a total mess. And I was really sort of kicking myself for that one. Um, and that was a day before I came to, to Thailand. So then also had to rush and spend the last day of the conference buying a buying a new laptop to come here. So these sort of things, you, you come back to uh, Airbnb and you start noticing that stuff is missing. And you're like, that. and they, that I was the one who, who had that occurrence. And you're like, oh my God, this is happening. Like, which is crazy after two and a half years of travel to 43 countries. And some of them like, places that people are always like, how, how dare you travel to this part of Mexico? That's so dangerous. Or Kazakhstan, like you're definitely like Abkhazia, these crazy places you're, people think are so dangerous that it happens to me in the U.S. of all places. Um, and so you kind of always, like it can happen anywhere. Like, a, like I was saying earlier on, on the safety points, sort of bring us back to that. So yeah. It can happen. Anywhere. And especially, yeah, like a town like Austin. You know, and you're in town for a travel conference and all is well. You know, you're around 500 to 1,000 other travelers. And then, yeah, something happens and you guys you guys get burglarized. Now, to, to cap that off, did you end up getting any money back from Airbnb? From uh, You didn't have travel insurance, but were you able to recoup some of those losses? Yeah, so we were, um, although... I don't know that it would have happened had we not been travel bloggers um, because uh, we basically got 
we were, happened to be at a conference with 600 travel bloggers, and we sort of made a bit of a fuss on social media and had a lot of people retweeting our tweets. Um, turns out, and I didn't know, know this, I kind of assumed that Airbnb must require some sort of insurance to protect guests' belongings while they're inside of an Airbnb. They don't. They make a big deal over their insurance that they have for hosts. So if you rent out your home and somebody burns it down or, you know, or somebody steals your, your, your stuff from your home or something like that, Airbnb will protect the hosts. But they don't have any kind of insurance to protect the guests. Um, and so initially they were kind of like, you know, it's, it's your problem. Deal with it, um, which isn't how a hotel would deal with that. Like, And this is one of the arguments the hotel industry makes on a political level is like, you know, a hotel would be liable for somebody who – something that happens on their, on their property. But if you whine enough on social media and you have enough followers um, – you get to people who have an ability to sort of do different things. So we did end up getting most, although not all, um, of the financial loss back. I think we probably got, you know, 75, 80% of it or something like that. I was very happy with that by the time it was done. So they ended up, you know, they ended up doing right by us. Um, and so I, you know, I thank them for that. But if you stay in Airbnbs, like you should, you should get travel insurance because that's your may not, may not have that same outcome. Yeah. Did you pull out uh, the lawyer chops then when you were on the yeah, phone with Eric? So. <laughs> Did that come out? You're like, I haven't done this yeah, in two and a half course, years. Of Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, I always, I always like to mention it. You know, if I'm, if I'm in a dispute, I'll mention that, um, you know, that I have, like, I'll, I'll take them to court and I can pay. Uh, I don't need to pay a lawyer because I'll just sign the pleadings myself. Um, and sometimes that works, but um, you know, you try to. It was a it was a lot of hours on the phone um, to get them to go somewhere with it, but we had lost so much money, um, and I was really just I was so shocked at the fact that there's no they don't even require the host to have like homeowners insurance that cover you, and a lot of homeowners insurance policies will exclude it if there's guests who are paying to stay there, which makes sense. You're not like your average homeowners policy isn't meant to be for an Airbnb, so it strikes me that there really is a um, that's an area where that they probably should sort something out to fix that. Yeah, a like bit of a, a a loop, not even a loophole, a bit of a, a fail right. there, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What do you have? You mentioned you're going to Nigeria soon for this wedding, which is pretty pretty sweet. I love weddings, and I love weddings in other cultures because that's one of the best ways to see something in all its glory, right? And, and like a, a culture, a, a country, a ceremony. Um, what else do you have coming up in the pipeline? Other, you know, whether that be travel related, whether that be work related, what do you, what do you got coming up? Yeah. So I've got this wedding in Nigeria, which I'm really excited about. I have a tailor made like traditional garb that like head to toe all white, um, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, and then I'm coming back to Thailand. I'll meet a f- uh, that friend I met on the bus to Machu Picchu in Cambodia and then in uh, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam for New Year's. Um, and I'm not exactly sure where I'll travel after that. I, I kind of – that's about two months out from here, so that's about as far as I usually plan. Um, I'm spending a lot of time right now just trying to work on building out um, my software company and also building out a lot of projects over at Travel Lemming. We've got the – end of year list uh, of emerging destinations for 2019, which is a lot of work to put together. I've been working on it for a month and change already. And we like later this week, we'll just roll out the first article about Europe. And then there's six more after that. Um, And this year we're incorporating, I'm going to incorporate a voting um, by the readers um, to select the sort of overall winners. So that's a whole other process to get all that going. Um, So if by the time you're hearing that, if you head over to travelemming.com, you should see uh, that first list of uh, emerging destinations in Europe, which would be really cool. We've got some uh, great panel of judges for that one, the Blonde Abroad and Wandering Earl and the Planet D and some some really awesome bloggers um, who are helping us to pick and just like a credible list of places to travel to. So that's, uh, that's, that's a big project that I've got working on. Uh, and then I'm going to just continue to kind of like build out the blog from there. Um, and keep, keep, I have so many places that like, I still want to write more about. Um, and so it can get, it can get hard sometimes because my list of like, my list of things is just, uh, endless. Um, but at the moment that's, that's the main project. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, I am super stoked for the Emerging Destinations 2019. Right up my alley, like 
Perfect, perfect, perfect. If you need, it's essentially like yeah. Well, writing, we can get you as a judge for one of the other continents. You know. All right. Well, let's do it. I'll, I'll do as as well as I can as a judge. There. Um, we'll talk about what might work. Asia might work. Um, have never been to Antarctica. I, I'm not going to be able to do that one, my friend. Neither would you. Um, I, but <laughs> yeah, I don't have Antarctica as, as one yeah. of the list. I thought about doing it as a joke. Right, um, right. Just having Antarctica. <laughs> right, right. You could vote for one All place, right. the whole continent. I appreciate it, Nate. Thanks so much for joining me today, for being a fellow uh, Republic of Georgia lover, helping spread the word of that amazing country and all these other emerging spots around the globe. Um, that's awesome, man. Love what you're doing. Remind people one more time, what's the best place for them to go to see what you're what you're up to? Yeah, so just head to travellemming.com uh, or you can find me on, I'm on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, all that as Travel Lemming. Travel Lemming. There you go. And if you didn't know what a lemming was before the show, now you do. More people are going to know that term now. Don't be a lemming. So thank you guys for listening. We will link everything up in the show notes. You can get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. Don't forget, if you are traveling, thanks to our two sponsors, Tortuga Backpacks and Bluffworks. If you're looking for a backpack, head to Tortuga Backpacks. Use that promo code EPOP. And if you go to Bluffworks, best travel clothing out there, the only pants I ever wear, you can get 10% off by using that promo code EPOP as well. Nate, thanks once again for staying up so late over there in Chiang Mai. You guys probably didn't know, but it's, what is it? It's midnight yet? You're coming uh, it's up It's about 12, 12.40 in the morning here. Yeah. 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 So thanks, man. Appreciate it. You're poor, burning uh, the no midnight problem. oil. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today and for your continued support. As always, we couldn't do it without you. Um, to this day, you're still the number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. So thank you guys for that. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon, Lord.